today on Ag News Daily. And so when you look at the heat maps of Spain, and I was watching the Weather Channel this weekend, Portugal shot a 116-degree temp. The UK, uh, they're not famous in the UK for having air conditioners. Of course, their crops don't have air conditioners either, but <laughs> they're going to shoot temperatures in the hundreds. Well, listeners, welcome back to an Ag News Daily podcast here on a Monday for you. Uh, flying solo here, Tanner Winterhoff, the Iowa Banker Man. While the ladies are uh, off on other endeavors, so Delaney is part of her travels is off today, so you get to hear just my voice, but hopefully everything moves quite quickly for us. Wanted to first give you an update on the U.S. rail strike, so that crisis was averted for now as Biden stepped in before the Sunday deadline. As that deadline loomed, the ongoing labor discussions between rail carriers and unions, President Joe Biden stepped in Friday to sign his executive order to create a presidential emergency board. We had talked about that as being an option for them. He deemed this was an essential step to keep the collective bargaining process on track. So he had until Sunday, July 17th, to appoint this presidential emergency board, but did it early on Friday. We're pleased that the Biden administration took this important step forward. In creating the PEB, said the American Association of Railroads president and CEO Ian Jeffries, who we had previously talked to, an agreement allows both our hardworking employees and industry to thrive in the future remains possible. So as first reported, the bottlenecks in the U.S. are not improving, and we still need to figure out ways to get grain to the West. Feed users in California and the Southwest are having issues sourcing their grain, saying that they are paying over $3 above the Chicago uh, price to secure grain by truck. Not only are feed users on the brink of running out, but there are also concerns that the rail issues could grow worse as we get into these fall harvests. So good to see that we have some political involvement there, hopefully for the better of our rail industry. Oil prices soared over the weekend. Prices rose above $100 a barrel. That is as Biden failed to secure an oil output deal with the Saudi Arabian government. Oil rose 2% on Monday today, boosted by the overall concern of a potential shortfall. Prices topped $100 a barrel, and the meeting between Joe Biden and Saudi leadership yielded no pledge to raise output. Monday's prices were the reverse of last week's losses, back pushing more back on fears for recession. The crude global benchmark rose 2.69% to 103.79 a barrel, set for its biggest one-day rise since earlier in July. Last week, it had dropped five straight weeks under the pressure from destruction of recession. However, it climbed back up. Supply constraints are boiling as energy markets after the Biden failed conversation to persuade the crown prince, Bin Salomon, the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia, to boost oil production, which now could see potential shortfalls. So not good news there uh, with an ineffective trip. So that oil market is heating up. Other places that are heating up is a lot of the United States. Extreme heat expected to cause high heat indexes in the Midwest to hit triple digits. It's going to be another scorcher, as reported here by successful farming in much of central United States. Excessive heat warnings and other heat advisories have been issued essentially from the Canadian border from the mountain east through Wisconsin, south deep into the southern Texas border, according to your National Weather Service. Much of the hot weather is expected to stick around for the next few days. In much of South Dakota, excessive heat warnings will be in effect this afternoon, jumping to nearly 111 degrees Fahrenheit, as reported. You go further south and the heat will creep in later this week, starting tomorrow. 
Kansas indices will jump as high as 107 degrees, according to the National Weather Service. Almost all of Oklahoma will be under an excessive heat warning, as values will range from 108 to 112. So very hot temperatures, high humidity will combine to create very dangerous situations for both livestock and people in the coming days. Well, that leads us to a Chinese article that I had discovered. China's second quarter pork output was at the highest in years after their herd has been recovering. So we have reported on the accuracy of Chinese information, but readers here is saying China's second quarter output climbed to 13.78 million tons, according to the calculations based on the official data released. That's the highest level since 2015. The surge came after farmers have been increasing their sound numbers in 2020 and 2021 after the deadly African swine fever disease has ravaged their herd since 2019. Second quarter is normally a period with small pork production in China. However, there is a surge following their China's Lunar New Year holiday, which is during the January and March time period. This year, China produced the same amount of pork in April to June as it did in the fourth quarter of 2021, according to the National Bureau of Statistics. High production came as demand contracted, though, so stocks are beginning to climb. However, with COVID-19 outbreaks, rising prices are already causing concern in Beijing, with the state planner preparing to step in to work on cooling off those prices. So uh, paying attention to the statistics Looking at what the Bureau has said, the total pig herd grew from 430.57 million head up to 422, or up from 422.53 million. So coming back to the United States, there is a new bill on the floor for consideration of the House. The new bill aims to strengthen research in ag conservation. It hit the House floor this morning as agricultural and natural resources and science, space, technology, and other committees came together to address greenhouse gas capture and storage. According to the joint press release, the Carbon Sequestration Collaboration Act aims to increase agricultural's forestry's current carbon capture rate of 13% by establishing more research and development programs for land and use. The Department of Energy is already doing great research on large-scale carbon sequestration opportunities, but there is knowledge and there is a gap in that knowledge when it comes to making use of smaller carbon programs, such as those that would involve soils and rangeland. We need all of the above approach, said Congressman, one that makes use of our many resources. So climate conversations will continue this week. In the House Committee and Oversight Reform will host the hearing Tuesday, that's tomorrow, to address the Regenerative Agriculture Bill as discussed the Carbon Sequestration Collaboration Act. So that's all I have for serious news today. So let's send you off with a fun article. There's a couple that decided to take off on a trip from Nebraska to Alaska, driving their 1977 IH tractor to raise money for kids. So driving from Nebraska to Alaska would nearly take uh, 50 hours. But the couple, Dick and Carolee Orada, are going to take 60 days because they are making a 3,900-mile trip on a tractor to raise awareness and money for kids. Dick is a retired farmer. Carolee's a retired nurse. The couple's venturing back to Alaska after falling in love with the state there decades ago. What's normally a 50-hour drive to Fairbanks, Alaska, will take them nearly two months 
They just took off last week, started there in western Nebraska. After Dick had lost his first wife in 1996, he didn't know if he wanted to farm anymore. His wife, his life took a dark turn until he met Kara Lee. He found his purpose again. The two of them traveled to Alaska for a summer when she was a traveling nurse, and they fell in love with the state. Fast forward to now, the couple purchased land and refurbished an Alaskan home. They were looking for a tractor and their use to use on their Alaskan land and found out that their tractors were expensive. So they bought one here near their Colorado house and are driving it from western Nebraska all the way up to their newfound land in Alaska. So thanks here for joining me for a little bit of news on the Ag News Daily Podcast. We are going to jump into markets here in just a couple of minutes, but uh, looking to get our co-host back again tomorrow. So hang tight there. If you have any suggestions for articles or topics we haven't covered, find Ag News Daily on all social media platforms. But nonetheless, let's get into a conversation with Tommy Grisafi about our markets. And Ag News Daily listeners, we are jumping into our Market Monday conversation. We have Tommy Grisafi here, Commodities Broker for Advanced Trading. Welcome back to another Market Monday episode, Tommy. Hi, Tanner. This year's just flying by. Just speed of light here. It is. Super fast. Let's kick things off here with where we closed for the day. Why don't you let our listeners know how that ended? Yeah, markets were up pretty good. Rough estimate. Corn was up 78. Soybeans were up about 30, 35. Wheat was up, uh, depending on the wheat contract, call it an even 30 with the KC board in Minneapolis. A little little variability there. Uh, off the highs, definitely uh, we were a lot higher at one point during the day, which is fun to say. And uh, again, markets have a lot of information they're digesting. And they put a little weather premium in, so that was nice to see. I was going to ask. That's my first question: is how much of a weather premium do you feel is in there? Because I I reported on the heat across. It seemed like from north border to southern border, looking at some extreme heat coming ahead this week. Yeah, and it depends on where you live. So right now I'm in northern Indiana, and right where I live received a ton of rain. And you think, oh, we're going to open up lower on Sunday night because it rained on my house. But when you look at the big picture and you look at the heat, you know what else I think is happening, Tanner, to be honest with you? It's not only the heat in the United States, but uh, if you check back and see what the markets did at 2, 3 in the morning, you'll see a big pop. And that's when Europe opened. So when you look at the heat maps of Spain, and I was watching the Weather Channel this weekend, Portugal shot a 116-degree temp. The UK, uh, they're not famous in the UK for having air conditioners. Of course, their crops don't have air conditioners either, but <laughs> they're going to shoot temperatures in the hundreds. They'd all talk in Celsius there, and they probably should, but we're the only ones crazy enough talking in Fahrenheit. But we're, we're shooting some big numbers across Europe. So when you look at that, the European crops were in trouble and not exactly great, and then you throw this heat in to finish them off, and then that our crops were put in late, and then we're having heat right at the gut slot of pollination, I think we could see some continued weather premium added if we don't get these timely rains. So with all that energy up in the sky, you could just have no rain in the forecast and then call your friend and say, you aren't going to believe this. It lightened, it thundered, and an inch came down, and it's a miracle. And that happens. I forget what those are called. What What do you guys call them there? Pop-up showers? Yep, pop-up thunderstorms. You're right. The That's interesting to see how that's going to play out. We had Eric Snodgrass on last week, and he was talking about how much planting delayed is going to affect potential pollinating issues or create pollinating issues with the corn crop uh, as things are put into place. So 
What what are we seeing though with the value of the dollar? How's that affecting commodities? It uh, it's 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 beat them up pretty good. Now the dollar we can handle a dollar around a hundred ninety nine a hundred. But when we spiked up to one oh eight last week, that caught people's attention, Tanner. And that's a great question. But you also have to understand too that everyone thinks oh the dollar's super strong, which it is. It's, there's just other countries, their currencies are that weak. So as our Fed government, our Jay Powell and the boys at the Federal Reserve raise rates, other countries are raising rates. For example, Canada last week was supposed to raise 0.75. They went 1.0 just a half hour after that nasty CPI number we had. We had CPI last week of 9.1 come out. Mm-hmm. And right after that, Canada said, heck with that, we're going 1.0. So currencies, when you look at the Canadian dollar, and the euro and world currencies, the Japanese yen, are really moving. It's a it's it's an interesting thing. And so what it gets people thinking is, hey, we have massive inflation and commodities are collapsing. How is that happening? Well, as of last week, the uh, the dollar strength really started to overwhelm people. As you see, c- commodities that you probably don't talk a lot about on your show, copper. You see copper make a multi-year low and. You see things like copper and other metals really doing poorly, gold, silver, copper, the industrial metals more. Uh, people, fund managers get out, and that's some of what we've seen. And maybe they were wrong to do that. Maybe they weren't. It depends if if I knew three or six months from now we're going to have a huge recession and you should be getting out of everything, that would be great to know versus, you know what, right. it's just a little recession. The uh, America's doing fine, as you know. You you are a banker. You sit in the ag bank world. There's a lot of money out there in the ag economy, isn't there? Yeah, still sitting on quite a bit. That that is. It's it's an interesting factor, and I know that we had teased that question last week to our listeners, so I wanted to get it in there early. But we've been seeing some more headlines from the Russia Ukrainian front, and it seems like every once in a while you get a positive headline and then you get word of more attacks beyond the initial front. So how, how are traders viewing the progressions going on over there? Uh, simply put, Putin, 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 calm, whatever the heck you want. <laughs> he uh, he's just playing this so well. And he's just he's just I just tell my clients he's pimping the world. He just no matter what you think he's going to do. He does it a little bit better, a little bit smarter. And uh, so what? They're going to let some grain out of Ukraine. Great. That's wonderful news. It's It needs to come out at some point or it's going to spoil. So right. the markets, they did something interesting. Is Oh, if we don't have this grain out of Ukraine, it's going to be a disaster. It, it wasn't. Guess what happened? South America produced almost a, a record crop, if not a, a record second crop, corn crop. And guess what? If you look at the numbers of what South America is going to plant next year, the world's adjusting. And the biggest fear is that the world keeps adjusting. We keep expanding acres around the world and Ukraine gets back on its feet. Now, when Ukraine starts producing grain again, it might not be called Ukraine. It might be called Russia. But nonetheless, that ground, it's going to produce a bushel of wheat, no matter who the the founding father of the... uh, you know, the, the label of origin might say Russia, not Ukraine. Right. But that ground in the next year or two is going to start to become really productive. They're not going to bomb it year after year. So the markets have moved forward and said, okay, Ukraine's out moving forward. Where are we getting grain? Yeah, and I was wondering if that was the route that traders were looking at. Is You, you can trade the news for so long, kind of like the coronavirus when when that 
came into place in China's lockdowns. And, and that is a really poor segue, Tommy, into my next question of, I, I reported on an article today about record production of swine in China. When we dove into the numbers that come out for their second quarter reports, of course, it's already a, almost a full quarter behind. And you have to mathematically back into the pork production. What, why were we seeing a little bit of a cool off in the meats or are we just getting to the end of grilling season? Well, the meats are, for me, my personal opinion, I find meats difficult to trade. So assuming I trade for myself, all of them poorly, I trade live cattle the best, feeder cattle okay, and I really don't trade many hogs for myself. And I currently don't have any clients that I hedge hogs for. I send all my uh, hog producers to another associated advanced trading. The hog market's interesting because it's, uh, I heard something today on TV and it made sense that the if you were to expand in the hog business in the United States, the cost of cement and building materials and just the lack of labor is actually stopping the American hog industry from expanding at a time when it should be exploding. What do you think of that, Tanner? So uh, on the Farm for Profit podcast, another one that I have the pleasure of hosting, we dove into that with a company that builds confinements. And the, the industry is so vertically integrated that a lot of the hogs are raised on contract. So the farmer producer that owns these confinements don't necessarily own the hogs that are in it. And the amount that they're getting paid, they're getting hired, the, the waves are getting paid to do that job is not climbing at a rate fast enough to offset the costs of construction. So I agree, there are definitely a lot of barriers in place for any type of an expansion opportunity, at least what we're seeing here right around central Iowa and the, the farmers and producers that I work with. Mm-hmm. And I, I work with a lot of clients who actually, I call it, they're in the hog babysitting business. They don't have to buy the babies. They don't right. have to, they don't have to buy the food for the babies. They're just, they just have the hog hotels is what I call them. Yep. And I have a lot of clients who own buildings who raise hogs. We're just not in charge, or at least I'm not for that segment in charge of marketing them. But it's big, big business. We have a, a group out here. Belstra Million out in Demont, Indiana, and they have hundreds of thousands of hogs all over the uh, all over the uh, state, and it's uh, it's big business. And they have to ride the uh, they have to ride the wave. I mean, they have good times, they have bad times. There's a few years I remember a few years ago, a lot of people's hogs died, and theirs didn't, and they were able to sell hogs totally healthy hogs at record, record, record prices. It's just what side of the coin you are. The hog business, I will say this, Tanner, and you're in the banking business. The the, the folks in the United States who produce protein, pork, uh, chicken, turkeys, cattle, they do not have the insurance in the backstop like the American row farmer does. And from a banking standpoint and a broker standpoint and a risk standpoint, well, a friend of mine said, I said, why do people raise cattle? And they go, because they love taking risk and they love cattle. <laughs> but I know several row crop farmers who really, when you look at the mathematics of it, the riskiest thing they do is put anhydrous on the field and you know, could get squirted in the ice with that. I mean, there's driving down the road and someone not paying attention to them right. mathematically is way riskier than the, the chance of them actually losing money. Yep. So the protein business, I feel for all you out there listening, 
who are in the protein business, hearts go out to you because the government doesn't have your back. And we're going to have a new farm bill here coming up, and I'm sure you're talking about that on your show and other shows. But that's going to be very interesting. Those guys need more help. That's my personal opinion. Sorry. I get it. I like it. And I like that little personal touch to it as well. Well, the last article that I reported on a little bit here, high level, prior to our conversation, was the fact that uh, President Biden and his administration were unable to get an official commitment out of Saudi Arabia to increase uh, production on the oil side of things. So crude is now at, what did it say, a 15-year high? How, how are we looking in the oil side of things? Well, crude oil was up $5 today. It hit 100 and some dollars a barrel. Um, some news just recently came out. Stock market was on the high a few hours ago. It's now on the lows. We've had a little switch there. Some threats from China and Taiwan and everything else. Let's talk energies real quick. Yeah. One-minute energy wrap. How we pay for energy and use energy in America is totally different than how they use energy in Europe. And currently electricity, coal, nuclear, and all these things that we have, Europe's paying three to five times more per unit for electricity than we are here in America. And it's summer right now. And of course they're battling record heat. Wait till they're battling record cold. So it'd be easy to say, oh, this big bull market and grains is over and everything else. But when you look at the soybean market and soybean oil, how that can become an energy, it is an energy. Corn's an energy. It's a, it's a calorie. It's a unit that uh, can be burned and become a unit of heat or can be consumed by a human and become a calorie. The, the energy markets around the world are truly, uh, this isn't over. If you think it's over, just look down at your phone and you see crude oil and natural gas are up huge today. And that's based on you know just poor decisions by this administration. One of the things I like to tell people about this administration, if they say, do you like Biden or do you not like Biden? Say the one thing you can count on, on the Biden administration, is they'll consistently do the wrong thing and you can profit off of it by trading the markets. <laughs> and if you think this is what they should do to release more energy or have a pipeline, they will do the opposite and they will stick to their plan of the Green New Deal. And if you think we're messed up over here, Europe promoted massive get rid of coal get rid of this get rid of that right now poland and other countries are literally begging countries to quick ship them coal because they do not know how they are going to heat homes and provide electric for the winter so this could be one of the gloomiest scariest winners in europe ever if i had a child who lived in europe i'd tell him it's time to come home it's not going to be safe there i mean that from the bottom of my heart america's still a wonderful place Yes. No, that's great insight. We haven't had insight like that before on one of these episodes. And appreciate your time, as always, Tommy. If people want to get more information out of you or give you a follow, what's the best ways for them to track you down? Yeah, you can go to the Advanced Training website. And because I looked up to you so much, I started a little podcast called the Ag Bull Podcast. You can go to uh, Spotify or Apple, just search Ag Bull. We're just interviewing interesting people about one a month. And uh, there's a couple interesting episodes out there that I'm proud of. And Of course, I'm proud of everyone who works in agriculture, including yourself. Thank you for what you're doing. Hey, no, we appreciate you getting the message out there and taking the time to share your wisdom with everybody else. So uh, we appreciate that, Tommy, and we'll get you again here on another show. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. There you go, Ag News Daily listeners. Another Market Monday. A little bit of personal inflection and emotion involved in this one, but nonetheless, we got a lot of updates from the news to talking there with Tommy Grisafi about where 
markets might be headed and what things we should be watching out for. So uh, back again with a co-host tomorrow, as I believe. But until then, listeners, I think it's time to let you go. Have a good one.